Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Good to see everybody. I'm going to jump right in today. I want to start off with a verse and um, I think it'll, it'll come back around nice and hard by the end of this message, but there's something that's written in Romans 8, the first verse of Romans 8, that I think is so incredibly important for us all to see. And it was a message that, you know, one of the greatest heroes of our faith championed this message. And it cost him a lot. But Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and of death. I like the way the Passion Translation puts this this verse. It says, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the Anointed One, the Messiah. For the law of the Spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the the law was limited by the weakness of human nature. And um, this is such an incredible and important verse for us to understand because... Even as the Passion Translation, there there remains no accusing voice of condemnation. That's usually based on their Aramaic translation. That's how the Passion does it. But there's no, and it's kind of like amplified, but there's no accusing voice of condemnation left against those who are joined with Jesus. And one thing that I realize is there's something that plagues Christians probably more than anything. And it's not necessarily the things of the world some of the uh, half the time, but it is the the sense of condemnation that we we lack the full and total acceptance that God has freely given us. It almost like it sounds too good to be true. It's easy to picture it for somebody else, but not for our own self. You know, this this reality that there is no more condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. Like there's, it's like, well, wait a second, that sounds too good to be true. That sounds too loose. But it's interesting because the guy that wrote this letter and wrote these verses was somewhat of a scoundrel, as you'll know. He called himself the, he had been the greatest of all the sinners, the worst. You know what I mean? The worst of the worst. He admitted, he owned it of himself. And now he was the one with the message of grace more than anybody else, championing it around the world or his world, um, that, hey, God has forgiven you. And if you step into this relational connection with him, there's no more hoops that you need to jump through. You can have a completely and totally clear conscience. And this man, he, he lived this and he embodied this. See, we've been doing, we've been talking about these origin stories this past few weeks. We've done a lot with Peter, really, over the year, and even those past few weeks. And we've even started with Paul in the summer and a little bit of of last week, talking about their conversions. And 
I want to look at Paul's life a little bit today. There's so much written about it and by him, but I think it's very valuable because I started to think these guys stepped into such immense power. Peter was jailed multiple times and sprung out of jail. You know, like people thought he was untouchable. Like he was, he was something else. And he was the leader of the 12 for the most part, you know. But as you all know, Peter was similar to Paul in that like his failures were very public. Some of his failures, like denying the Lord and all these, you know, different things. I have an unclean mouth, you know, all these ways that he perceived himself. And, um, but Peter was getting sprung out of jail by angels on multiple occasions to the point where people thought like, man, this guy's untouchable. You know? There was once he was sprung out of jail and it was just like an angel literally just walks him out of the place in the middle of the night. And then the evil king of the Jews who would have really flipped a gasket over it, he ends up dying within a few, few days right after it. So it was like he never, the trial never followed him. He never fully got in trouble and he was just released. And it's just like this guy had this, it says that in, in Acts 5.15 that people would want to get into his shadow. They believe that even getting close enough, a proximity to this guy, that his shadow would actually touch them and they would, they would experience the healing for whatever issues that they had. Because he walked in some real miraculous stuff. Now was he, you know, the, the first pope and all these things? No, absolutely not. But he was stepping into something as somebody who knew he had been a complete and total failure and that it was not by his own strength or merit that it was because of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Then this guy, Paul, we joke around and call him Saul bin Laden, you know, if you've ever heard us, you know. Basically a terrorist wreaking havoc over the church. Admittingly, he writes his letter to Timothy, like calls himself the greatest of sinners. And you know what I mean? Says, I was a blasphemer and... I was, a, I was a persecutor. He was all these evil things. But he doesn't wear those as a badge of honor or shame. Because shame cripples people. But he wears it as a badge of like, hey, as like a poster child of the grace of God. Because people look at him and sometimes I think we read his books, especially Romans, and, and we think that he's this angry little guy. And he was super zealous. But I think often it's the people that teach these books that are angry little guys. And so we actually kind of associate that with Paul being this angry little fellow, you know. Historically, they say he was a little fellow. I'm not sure. I think he probably was. But I like to think of him like that, like this, this small little Jewish guy, little rich guy, little guy born Roman to a big family and, uh, you, know, you know, super highly educated as we've seen, you know what I'm saying, persecuting the church, wreaking havoc had letters from the council, the Sanhedrin, like they had, they had legal obligation to go in different cities and drag people out of their houses just for being Christians and throw them in jail. The first martyr, Stephen, one of the greatest of all time, you know, this guy, Paul or Saul at the time was consenting to the guy's death. I mean, a real rotten son of a gun, right? And we talked about his conversion last week. He's enveloped in light he fasts for three days from water and food, trauma. Snakeskins fall off of his eyes, something like some type of scales. You know what I mean? And he starts preaching the gospel instantly, like complete, complete and total conversion. Incredible. 
He lives in the desert for three years by himself. He's gone from like, he's gone for, depends on who you talk to, who you read, 13, 14 years, just nobody sees him. He's not trying to build his ministry. He's like Obi-Wan Kenobi living on Tatooine watching Luke Skywalker. He's out of sight, out of mind, and he's just knowing the Lord. He comes back and he writes books, a bunch of them, but he writes things about how he received taking communion from the Lord Jesus himself. 1 Corinthians 11 says. Jesus taught me this just like he taught his disciples this. To which some of us would be like, hey, like, he was already crucified and died and raised again and, you know, he was in heaven. Like, how did he teach you this? And, and Paul's like, yeah, that's, that's what's going on. I don't know if he's in the desert or where he was for the other 13 years or 10 years of that span, but he had such a relationship with the Lord Jesus that he got taught things that he was absent for in class. You feel me? He taught him how to take communion. He told him what it actually meant. He was, he was killed multiple times. Like, wait a second, what? I know, right? It's like when you, when you look at his story, the guy would get stoned drug out of a city you know that's like that's like he got the electric chair he got got the noose got hung like a stoning the kids are all gone now so it's like the stoning wasn't just rocks which would be violent and they knock you down and then you're passed out and you're then they grabbed the millstone which is the big daddy deadlift the millstone walk it over and they drop it on on top of your face or head to crush your skull and fully put you out of your to pull fully put your lights out that's how that's what stoning was Read that in the Bible. Got a couple smiles out of that. All right. You know, we like violence sometimes. It's good. But what it shows, they supposed he was dead, drug his body out of the city, left him for dead. His disciples stood around him. All of a sudden, he stands up. And he comes back from his execution. And he sits up. And he goes back into the very same city where he just got executed at. He was, he was, he was another... He was on another wavelength. Listen to the podcast. I'm doing kind of a hand motion to my brain. Like, he was, he was different. He was strange, this fellow. But, I, but, but he was exceedingly happy because he had peace. He talked about how, how, how why we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. His point was like, oh, you're a sinner. You've got to take that on as your identity. No, 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 no. Like, yeah, Jesus Christ died to save sinners, but it's like that was everybody. It wasn't our identity. It was the false identity we had found ourselves in. We were sons and daughters of God. And he had actually died to, to show us the value God actually had. For God so loved the world. He loved us so much because he valued us and he wanted us back. And that was his message. Now it's been twisted. But not if you read the Bible pretty plainly. And so this little fellow, man, kind of like Peter's shadow, everywhere he would go, he would rattle the whole place. Right? And just like we talked about Ananias, the guy that had to go pray for him and, and, and for him to receive his sight, he was kind of worried, like, hey, you want me to go pray for that guy? Because he's, he's been Laden. He's, he's against us. He's like, no, 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 I've chosen him. He's going to be my messenger, even to, even to the Gentiles. Like, wait, what? The Gentiles? Like, wait, that's not, against, that's not our religion. Yeah, I'm outside of your religion. God wanted to restore everybody. And I'm going to pick the most racist, angry little fella of the whole bunch to lead the charge. Well, that makes no sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, wouldn't, be, wouldn't Peter, kind of worldly, 
be the good one to go send out to all the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people? Well, yeah, he would, but like, I'm not worried about what he's good at and what Paul's good at, aka Saul. I'm worried about what I'm good at, which means I'm not worried and I pick who I want and my power is made perfect in weakness. And it's just this, this brilliance that he's sending these guys to the groups that he's sending them to. But Paul was sent, and somehow his name got changed to Paul from Saul. I don't know if it's because so many people were afraid of him that they just like, just call me Paul, man, because you, you call a meeting and Saul's going to be there like, ain't coming. From Tarsus? Yeah, I'm not coming. That's a trap, you know? I had a thought of a movie where there was a trap, but I can't say that movie because it's a really, really old one. It's called Blade. Oh, said it anyways, but it's, you know, the vampires trapped everybody in at a party and they really just out there to bite them, you know? But it was kind of like, I'm not Saul of Tarsus. I'm not going to that, you know? But it's like, no, 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 this is Paul. It's, it's, no, it's, it's Paul. Yitzah's not here. What does Yitzah go by? John? People can't say his name, so just call me John. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, also, John's not here today. Yitzah's not here. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, call me Paul. Anyways, or it could have been Jesus nicknamed him because he changed everybody's name, didn't he? Hey, nice to meet you, Simon. Now you're Peter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just whatever. It just did it all the time. All the nicknames in the Bible, you've seen that? He had a lot of them. So anyways, um, yeah, Jacob, well, now you're Israel. Anyways, so Paul's, Paul's got such, there's something about him that causes places to pretty much just go crazy. You know what I mean? I don't mean that in a negative way, but it is kind of a negative way because there's like riots followed the guy around. But it's because of this, it's because of there's no, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It was that message and it caused people to go absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. There's nothing to disqualify. If you're in Jesus, there's nothing else that can disqualify you. That's what that verse means. There's nothing that can disqualify you. And it's like, ah, they flip out about that. And it's like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> Well, first of all, they got to be of our race. If not, they've got to really go through some customs to kind of get into it. And if not, they, and then after that, you got to follow all these rules and regulations. You, there's no way you can be accepted by God. And he's like, hey, man, I've done those rules and regulations my whole life. I'm a Pharisee, a Pharisee. I'm from the specific tribe of, you know, I'm, I'm, this, I'm from the lineage. I'm from the this and my dad and my mom. And, you know, he had all these credentials. I studied under Gamaliel, all these credentials. He's like, but I counted all those things as dung. And it was like, he would say offensive stuff like that. You couldn't even say it in a church. What that word translates in modern English, you couldn't say it in a church because it would offend a bunch of people. <laughs> what? I'm not doing it. You think I'm going to do that? <laughs> yeah, on a roll today. But you couldn't. But that's what it meant. It was a load of it to him. And, uh, you know, but that compared to knowing Christ, he's like, I come to you knowing Christ and him crucified. That was, that was the point. Because he knew God's not a respecter of persons. If you get this, you have the whole thing. Now we've exalted him and made him something, which he should be honored. He's the man. He's, he's incredible, just like Peter. But I know that they would have us understand, like, hey, just like John and you know, John's bound to an angel. Angel's like, hey, buddy, don't do I'm, I'm one of your brothers. It ain't like this. We all serve the king. It's like all of them are learning this and living this. And, um, but Paul would go places 
And usually the Jewish people would find them because they hated that acceptance being preached. Um, but often it was the demonic that would find them. He had it on both sides. He had a war around him constantly. He had a thorn in his flesh that was a demonic messenger. He had it around himself constantly, this little fellow, Paul. But he was, the level of zeal he had to tear it down, he had that zeal to impart the love and acceptance of God to everyone else. Because he was free and he was going to let everybody know, like, hey, I'm free. He was a walking billboard, super evil, pointing to self, scumbag, persecutor, you know, blasphemer. He called himself that. And guess what? All those things that I was meant nothing to him. He qualified me, washed me. And so now I am the one with the message. There is no condemnation. Trust me, if somebody would know that there was condemnation, I would be the one that knows about it because I would be the worst and there isn't in him. And now I am a messenger of that reality. It's brilliant. We have to have this in our minds, in our essence, in our beings, in our relational connection to God because everything that stops us is not, oh, I, you know, I'm doing this. It is that. It is that that lying voice of condemnation that says you're not qualified. Yeah, but you're not doing enough. Yeah, but you don't know enough. Yeah, but you messed up this week. Well, maybe I did. Yeah, but you shouldn't be this way. Now feel bad about it. Now feel bad about it. And it's like Jesus, this thing of repentance is, is to have a change of mind and turn and walk the other way. It, it doesn't mean to sit in shame and condemnation and feel rotten for a long time. It's godly sorrow that leads to repentance, not, not shame. And grotesque feelings towards ourselves and self-hatred and all those things. That is the disqualifying voice that God wants to axe out of his world. And he wants to do it through the messengers of light, his sons and his daughters, who live this message just like this fellow. It says in Acts 19, this is one of my favorite things because, you know, this, this kind of reminds me of Peter, people wanting to get in his shadow. It says, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, and he did. There was resurrections of his own self, let alone people that fell out of windows. Some kid fell out of, of a window while he was preaching one time because he fell asleep and he resurrected him. He could have said, that's what you get. You should be paying attention. This is important. Let that be a lesson to you all when I talk. You know what I mean? But no, he went down and said, he fell on the guys and he said, hey, it's okay. He's good. He's good. We got it covered. You know, resurrected the guy, you know what I mean? He, somebody that couldn't walk since he was born, you know, live, you know. He's moving in this things, but then, as a little, a little asterisk, a little star, Acts 19, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. What's that? Unusual. He did, un he did some strange things. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now that's kind of tough right there. Right? That's going to be tough for some folks. You know, Paul, who worked a secular job often, once he became a Christian, as a tent maker, was skill and Aquila. And so he would do that and provide for himself. He was successful doing that. But people would somehow get the sweat rags that he used to wipe his face with. This, this word here about these little rags... It's stuff they used to, it's little rags they used to carry around with them and usually wipe their faces off. Kind of like the preachers on TV when they get all worked up, you know what I mean? Those guys. Yeah, okay. So, but, um, but it's like, show some restraint, right? 
yeah, I'm mature enough to pass that right on by. But he would wipe his face, you know. And these sweat rags, it sounds gross, but people would get a hold of those and send them places and give them to people. And they would not, they'd put them on sick people and it says even diseases would leave and even evil spirits would come out of people when they got these sweat rags on them. That's, that's something right there. You know what I mean? That's bizarre. I need to park on that for a second, I think. I wasn't ready for that. But it's just like, talk about bizarre miracles would happen from the guy. Remember the lady with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5? Who touched my garment, lady? Remember, he was walking. He was going to heal. He was actually going to help somebody. A guy named Jairus, whose daughter was really sick. But on the way, a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years came in. She had this bright idea. She had this special bright idea that said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, a little piece of cloth from his clothes, I'm going to be made whole. In my Bible, I have, I have written says who. <laughs> like, it says who? Who says that's the way to do it? You know what I mean? But it's interesting because it obviously was. She had this idea that there's something about him that if I can just access him, even his physical being, even his clothing, that's not even the part of the clothes that's not even touching him, it's connected to him. There's something that emanates from this one who's walking around that if I access it, I know this 12-year issue that I've spent all this money to get healed from. I, know, I just have a feeling it's going to be, be fixed. So she, she died. I mean, there's always a crowd around Jesus. She dives in. This is a flashback, right? She dives in and ducks down and touches the hem of his garment. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. <laughs> you know what I mean? To which Jesus said, hey, who, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? I believe that it's possible that he did know. Um, but I think that he was articulating that. Either way you want to look at it. That he was articulating that and saying that to make us to be able to see who are reading this and the disciples that are around him, that this wasn't something he did, this is something she did. You feel me? Like, uh, he didn't initiate this, this was who he was. And she accessed it. Without even him asking or looking in that direction, she accessed it by faith. And um, his disciples were like, kind of laughed, and they were like, you see the multitude that's around you? Like, kind of like, we're, they were like his bodyguards, like trying to push people off. Like, who touched you? Like, what do you mean who touched you? Did, who didn't touch you? Who's not pushing us right now? Who's not, you know what I mean? How do you say who touched me? And he looked around and to see her who had done the thing. And the woman was afraid and trembling because she knew what had happened. She came and bowed down before him and said, and he looks at her and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Daughter, your faith has made you well. It's just like you've accessed your inheritance by faith and you've touched me and this eminence that's of me. This, you know, whether it's the oils, the natural, you know, uh, everything, the culmination of his person, she touched the hem of his garment and boom, it hit and it was real. It's funny when you look at Mark chapter 5 and chapter 6, you know, by the, by the end of chapter 6, the very next chapter from that, it says, whenever he entered into villages or cities, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged that they might just touch the hem of his garment. 
and as many as touched him were made well. That's a verse right there in Mark 6, 56 that comes after that lady's bright idea. So like a bunch of people heard that this happened and a bunch of people saw that this worked and he even said it the way he said it. Who touched me? Like, hey, I didn't come to this lady's house. I didn't look her in the eyes. I didn't do these things. They just had access of me. There wasn't enough of him to go around if you can see it like that. You know what I'm saying? He was so busy. He was being taken everywhere. There was always crowds around him. But if somebody's trying to be secret, that's the heart of a good father. He puts it out in the air like, trust me, just try to, try to access me. I know this is chaos, but jump into the chaos and come after me as best you can because it will work. That was an advertisement to me. That was, to me, that sounds like an advertisement. Rush after me, even if there's a crowd, and do everything you can to touch me. And the security team's like, dude, don't, what? What? Keep that down, you know. You know what I mean? But that's an advertisement, and the advertisement got out because now it got, it, it's, they wanted to just touch him. As many as touched him were made healed in Mark 6. So it became a thing, access him, touch him, connect to him. And now we have these disciples who we know God's not a respecter of persons and they're real people like Peter. And we can see Peter's life. We can see the failures that he had before he was the apostle Peter that we see in the book of Acts. And to be honest, we can see some failures that he had afterwards because Paul ends up actually having to confront him and he writes about it. Galatians, you know what I mean? Just to show that these guys weren't perfect, that they were normal, but they were walking with Jesus and he was emanating. This reality of, of this thing that, that the apostle Paul said, Christ in you is the hope of glory in you. It's like he was like, hey, get it in you. Understand there's no condemnation. Become as close knit with him. Understand, have the washing of the water of the word. Renew your mind. All these things these guys are writing. It's like be full of this reality. And they were full of it because people wanted to get into their vicinity. People were taking his, his sweat rags. What if people followed you to the gym and took your sweat rag? Would you be like, that's a... That's a stalking creeper right there. I'm going to call the police. I'm going to put something on. You know what I'm saying? They're taking his sweat rags that he's working with or whatever. You know, taking it from his body. Because something he was living, there was a truth that he had that was emanating that wasn't just in here between the ears. It was emanating his physical person and it was transferable. It was that real. That's our life. That's where we're supposed to be. I have a hunch. I'm thinking about these guys. I'm thinking like, wow, what's the deal with the shadow and the cloth? The shadow of Peter, the cloth, the handkerchief, the sweat rags, if you call it for what it really is, a sweat wiping rag. What is the, what is the, what is the secret of the shadow and the cloth? It, it, it wasn't about a shadow or a cloth. It was about those who were abiding in the Lord and they were being transformed by this reality from glory to glory. They were, they were becoming Him. They were becoming like Him. They, they were made in His image and they were being transformed in that reality and that reality was contagious and it's called to be that way for us. It's called to be that way for our church and this is evangelism. It's not necessarily a program. It is a, it is a whole life. It is an entire life of connection to the Lord that permeates and touches other people. Now Paul, I mean, everywhere he went, he, especially the demonic, the, the religious, which is demonic, and the demonic would flare like nobody's business. Yeah. Acts 16, 16, there's a girl 
with a voice like this, that's how, they, that's how divination was, was. Their voice would change and they would prophesy. And she was prophesying that these guys were from God. And they're sent to talk about the ways of God, which was actually true. But it was out of a wrong spirit. So Paul gets really annoyed by it, which shows you that he was still just a regular person. And his annoyance leads him to cast the demon out of the lady. Yeah. Pythos, that's what it's called, divination. It's, it, the, word, the Greek word is pythos. It's a spirit. It's a python. It's, it's evil. It chokes people out. It's religious witchcraft. It's more powerful than witchcraft, to be honest. We can talk about that later, some other time. But it really, it's a real thing. But anyways, he casts the thing out, and it, and it, and it, it actually it caps a lot of people. But he casts the thing out, and then he gets in trouble because she made a lot of money fortune-telling. And so her, her, her bosses, her pimps, basically, who, who used her to make tons of money off of her gifting that was wrapped up with something demonic they got him thrown in jail like everywhere he went he's getting beat up thrown in jail getting in trouble you know he's in the ephesians church we, we love the book of ephesians but like he had them talking about these idols that made were made by hands they weren't really god and all these things and they got so mad at him because the silversmiths were angry because they were selling all these idols and their idol their their idol game the the, the their little trinkets they weren't making the money from them so what do we got to do? We go, we'll rough them up, throw them in jail, beat them up, try to kill them. You know what I mean? Like he was haunted by both sides everywhere he went. But there was something about him taking that time, that long period of time where he connected to the Lord Jesus, that it wasn't just a message or a thought. And he wasn't just articulating um, debates with the religious crowd. He was living something that was so true and real that it permeated from his body. Yeah. I don't think it's any accident that that's written about the, um, the cloths that came from his body. That they, they literally cast out demons with those cloths. It's like, what? He was so supernaturally charged with this reality of this wholeness and this new covenant. That stuff was taken from his body and put on people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Stuff would come out of him. And, and it's just like, it's amazing. It says that the evil spirits came out of people from these cloths that came from his body these aprons. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists started taking upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We exercise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. In other words, the Jesus thing became a formula, another type of religion, an incantation. What's well, working for him? Golly, it's so powerful. He even, you know, his, his clothes. Let's, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's make it a part of our gig. It says also there were seven sons of Sceva, Jewish priests, and they tried to do so. It says when the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? The man in whom the evil spirit was that they were trying to cast out leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And that became known to all the Jews and all the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Strange. That's in our Bible. He was so supercharged. There was unusual miracles from him. He doesn't write about this himself. Dr. Luke is writing this stuff about him. In his letters, he doesn't mention that. I would mention that. If, it was, if I did that, I'd be like, yeah, you know, sometimes my handkerchief, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's like he just, he wasn't in the flesh. He lost his mind and his identity, you know? 
And it's like, hey, even his clothes would cast out demons. So even the exorcism and, and, and all the people, oh, I have a ministry, and it's going to be the cast to get people deliverance and all these things. You see all that kind of silly stuff, and they started doing that stuff, but they weren't actually preaching Christ. It wasn't New Covenant Christianity. It wasn't like being transformed by the love of God and your value. And so guess what? It didn't work. And more than not working, this guy that had demons inside of him beat up seven dudes and stripped them naked and, and humiliated all of them. I, I, and yeah, thank you for laughing at that. That's hilarious. I mean, it's just like, but it, but it, was, it, was a, it was a picture of a real contrast. That's written there to make a contrast. To him, it was very real. And it was not, it, to, when it's with Paul, it was very real because it was rooted in the gospel. It was the new covenant. It was this transformation. There was no condemnation or shame. It was pointing to something. It wasn't just trying to have ministry and trying to get results. It was different from him. Yeah. It was different from him. So very cool. So incredible. Yeah. I will close with a, sh a short story, maybe. A few minutes of his. And um, he's done all these things. He's going to all these Gentile places. He's going amongst Greek people, looking at their statues. Hey, there's a statue to a God that nobody knows. Well, I'll tell you who he is, and I'll explain Jesus to you. He, he would take his shots everywhere he could, and he would always get results. But he would also always stir up a hornet's nest, whether it was with the demonic or whether it was with the religious, which is the demonic, you know, as well. So it's like he was, a, he was in a demonic sandwich constantly in a whirlwind, and he was shaking everything. And he starts telling this crew, he's like, I've got to go. I need to get back to Jerusalem. And they're like, no. Hey, buddy, why don't you calm down for a little while? This isn't going to end well. He's like, I got to. Him and Luke show up. They've been gone. They've been gone for mm, some time. And this is the story of Paul having all these experiences coming back onto the scene. And I'm going to start in, in Acts 21. I'll start at um, maybe verse 20. And um, he comes back to the, maybe verse 17 to 20, somewhere in there. He shows back up to Jerusalem. The, brethren, the brethren received them gladly. So this is, man, this is 25 at least years after Pentecost. You know what I mean? This is after Paul's been back a couple of times. The first time he came back, they were like, we don't trust that he's even real. The disciples themselves didn't want to be around him. Like, this is a, he's a terrorist. But Barnabas is like, no, he's okay. He's real. Um, now they're like, okay, he's officially real. He's one of us. So James, Jesus' half-brother, some people say he's a cousin, but I think he's half-brother. But anyways, he goes to James, who's like the, the head pastor in Jerusalem there. And all the elders were present. And it says, when he greeted them in detail, he told them all the stuff. He tells them all these stories of all these Gentile people. Like, listen to the, how the grace of God is multiplied through all these people. He's so over the moon about it. You know, they understand, even in Acts 15, they understand, hey, this isn't just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well. They, you know, this is, this is, it's accepted, but in these years that he's been gone from them, it's the religious traditions and control of the system had already started creeping back in, you know? And so Paul's showing up to the party not knowing that, being 100% authentic. That's who he was. And I think he's full of joy as well. And um, 
you know, he's the one that, yeah. So, anyways, <clears throat> Paul shows up and he's telling them all this. And they're like, man, they're all, they love it. When they heard it, it says they glorified the Lord in verse 20. You know, they've been informed about all that you teach, you know, and, and this is awesome. But, but then, then they said, all right, that's awesome. You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are here who now believe. And they're zealous for the law. You know, there was, what, 3,000 at Pentecost, right? You know what I'm saying? It's 20, 25 years later. They're like, you see, hey, Paul, like, you see there's, like, way more in these past few years. Like, we got tons of Jewish people. Like, so they're, they're kind of, like, giving him back. Like, he's like, look at the Gentiles. Look at all this stuff. That's awesome. Look how big we've multiplied. Um, but here's the thing. They've kind of been informed about you, how you teach all the Jews and, you know, to kind of forsake Moses, saying they don't need to circumcise and all that stuff. And they feel like you teach against their culture and their tradition, so that's not very cool with them. So we're, we're so glad to have you back. But at the same time, do you mind um, going through the pur purification process for a few days? Let's try to, let's try to ease you back in around the, ch around the church fam, the church, the church people. Let's not be too wild about this whole deal. You feel me? So Paul's like, yeah, man, I, I'm good. You know, it's just like, yeah, you don't never trust that. That guy's going to come in and act just wild as a mug is what you think. You, know, you just never know. It says the next day he was purified with a few people. You know, you go through these ceremonial things and he's, he's coming back in. And there was some Jews that were from Asia that saw him in the temple and they started stirring up the whole crowd. It's like everywhere he goes, it gets so heated and it's so hilarious. But it's because the reality of what he's living and they start shouting, Men of Israel, this man teaches every man against the people of the law. He's brought Greeks into the temple. They've defiled the place. It's just like, don't you understand? Don't you remember Peter's thing about going into the house and Cornelius, like all this stuff, like all that stuff. It's like, yeah, like it had settled and okay, Jesus is the Messiah, but it still was, was hyper-religious and, 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 and a bit racist and elitist. And, and so <laughs> they're like flipping out against him and doing all this stuff. And it says the whole city was disturbed, disturbed, and they seized Paul and drug him out of the temple. And they were seeking to kill him. <laughs> it's like, man, he just showed back up. And uh, um, so they're beating him up. It says immediately there was a, a commander of a garrison there. Once they heard that there was an uproar. And he took soldiers and centurions. So hundreds of Roman soldiers had to show up. And... Um, get everyone to stop beating this little guy up, beating up Paul. He's getting roughed up and beat up, and they're, they're taking him out to kill him, probably to stone him, see if it worked this time. I don't know, you know. And um, it says the commander comes and takes him, and, and they're like, stop, you know what I'm saying? They, they you know, take him back to the barracks. We're going get, to get, get with what's, whatever's going on here. This is chaotic. And they said they reached the stairs, and Paul was about to be led into the jail, into the barracks, and he asked to the he asked to the Roman, he said, Hey, can I can I speak may I speak with you? And the guy goes, Do you speak Greek? He was kind of shocked. He just thought he was one of these, well, he thought he was an Egyptian, which is hilarious. Um, you speak Greek? And he's like, Are not you an, the Egyptian who started up the rebellion and the four thousand assassins in the wilderness and all that stuff? You know what I mean? So they thought like it was going so chaotic that this was an Egyptian assassin that showed up there that had tried to rebel against Rome. And if you read the story about that in the commentaries, it's actually really kind of gangster and kind of cool. But they thought that that's who he was, and that guy did escape. Um, but it, he's like, no. He's like, I ain't, ain't Egyptian. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm a Jew from Tarsus. 
I'm a citizen of no mean city. I'm a Roman citizen. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. So then he gave permission to Paul, and, 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 and Paul was on the stairs with a bunch of Romans protecting him, trying to throw him in jail, not to arrest him necessarily, but to protect him from just getting killed and destroyed before he even got to go to trial. And then the Romans actually quieted the whole crowd, and so Paul was on the steps of the stairs, and he took it as like, well, I guess we'll just have a service while I'm here, and I'll talk to all you guys trying to kill me. Now you have to be quiet and listen to me. And so he tells him his story, which you'll see if you read the book of Acts. You see it so many times. He tells him, I was on the road to Damascus. I had a letter to persecute the Christians. I was going to do all these bad things. And then a light enveloped me, man. I was, you know what I mean? He's like telling this story. And they're all sitting there having to listen to him. And some of them, it's cutting to their hearts. They're like, oh, snap. This is real. And, um, (laughs) And, you know, just... He tells about Ananias. He came and prayed for me. The scales fall off my eyes. You know, he's telling this whole story. And then, and then how the Lord said, it's time for you to get out of Jerusalem. He says, not so, Lord. Like, you know, this is, these are my people. But So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned you and beat everybody who believed in you. Like, kind of what just happened to him. He's like, I did that to everybody that believed in Jesus. And to which Jesus says, and he's telling this to, to this crowd, depart, I'm going to send you from here to the Gentiles. And it says they listened to him until he said that word. And they're like, away! <laughs> no! You know, they, they raged against him because that was the thing. There's no condemnation in Jesus. There's no disqualification. And it's like, no, those people are disqualified. And they're like, no, like, God himself told me that they weren't. And we see that's the point of contention. That's the point of contention. We're going we're gonna to hit the point of contention here in a second. But then it got so chaotic that the prisoners were like, all right, throw him in jail. We'll deal with this thing tomorrow. We'll bring him back and we'll bring, we'll bring the council out, the Sanhedrin and all that stuff. So they put him in jail for the night to cool, cool the place down. And um, they were actually, well, let's rough him up and beat him just so he learns his lesson. He says, I'm a Roman citizen. They're like, you're a Roman citizen? He's like, yeah, dude. I'm like, well, oh, snap, we can't beat him. So the next day, they wanted to know why he was really accused. Because like, if you're not that Egyptian assassin guy, you're really not him. Like, you speak pretty good Greek. Probably better than him, you know. It's like, if you're not him, and you're a Roman citizen, then, then, what's, then why, are they, why do they want to kill you? Like, this doesn't make any sense. We'll call the Sanhedrin, because they were, they were the real leaders in the government. You know what I'm saying? The Sanhedrin, but also the Romans, the soldiers. So we'll close with this, with this little scene right here, the next day. This man, who you know is so powerful, he's so powerful that his essence changes every atmosphere that he goes to. He's so powerful because of the one who he knows, but it's also how he knows the one he knows. Not how he encountered him, but that he knows that while I was complete naughty rascal and evil, you actually came for me to give me purpose, and you didn't even disqualify me. You put me on your team. He has a different mindset. This is someone that has become, I feel like this is a secret. I feel like this is the secret of the shadow of Peter and the cloth of Paul is that they understood he didn't pick me because of my good behavior. He picked me to be a messenger that he's for, he truly has forgiven us. And he sees us in a way that we never were able to see ourselves. And there's actually no shame and condemnation. I think that's their power. It was in the cross. Jesus, I come. The rest of it's a bunch of dung. 
Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's my message. And it's like when you hear that, like, oh yeah, preach the cross and then have the sinner's prayer and everybody da 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 and then go to the buffet. But it's like, no, 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 no. It was never that for them. It was never that, man. It was never that. It was like this was the love of God. He was in Christ drawing all men to himself. Jesus, uh, Paul wrote that down, man. He said, Colossians 1, even though you were enemies in your mind against him, he's actually made the way for you to come near and now he's inside. He's with you. That's Colossians 1, 19, 20, 21. If you look at that stuff, you were once alienated and enemies in your own mind by your wicked deeds and works, but he did something to pull you in. You know, Ephesians 2, he's like, he's like I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2, 20. It's no longer I who live. Ephesians 2, 6, like I've been seated in heaven. You know what I'm saying? In Christ. It's like these, this mentality is like the house was burning and... It was nothing that I did. Even while I was fully asleep and as a, as a complete sinner, he took me and seated me on, on the inside of himself in heaven. It's like this mentality, this grace of God, that people think it's just, oh, it's going to be an excuse to drink a bunch of alcohol. Like, no, it's not. No, it's, that's not at all what that is. Um, it's an excuse to never come under shame and then try to have to self-medicate yourself because you feel so miserable and condemned all the time. And it will free you from alcohol. And so it's like this message that he was preaching, that he was sitting in jail overnight with his arms crossed, saying, like, oh, what's going to happen to me tomorrow? This, this guy, man, this guy, for me to live, it is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. Yet, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's way better. It's like, wait a minute, little fella. You're telling me it's up to you? You're like, uh, I, I don't know what I'm going to choose. It's to be here, I bear fruit, but to be with him, to live in the flesh, you know, for, to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's just like he's acting like, which, but which shall I choose? I don't know yet. It's like, wait a minute. It's like, what is your deal? He sounds like Jesus. You know what I mean? He sounds like Jesus saying, nobody takes my life from me. I'm laying it down and I'll take it back. Sounds like power to me. I'm going to decide. I'm not sure if I'm ready to go home yet or not. I've been slipping in and out of these beatings and killings and shipwrecks my whole life. I don't know. I'm going to go a couple more rounds because I know it's worth a lot on the other side. You know, that's the mentality of this unkillable man. He's literally saying that in the Corinthian book. When you see that, Jesus taught me how to take communion. He's like, what? You guys are getting sick and dying? That's ridiculous. That's, that's, that's 1 Corinthians 11. He's like, what? what? He's like, what? what is that? He's like... Some of you, what does he say? Some of you are weak and some of you are sick and some of you are asleep because you take communion without reverence? That doesn't mean if you, oh, you better check your heart before you take communion, you might die, you know, dumb. He's saying like, what, you're dying? He's like, don't you understand the communion is, is actually the reverence is about the blood of Jesus in the body. It's about the cross, what he did. Like, you shouldn't be falling asleep early. Somebody should have, it's like somebody should have to kill you, man. You can't, you can't just die. Of natural causes. Read it like that. Read, read 1 Corinthians 11, man. I know that probably challenged some people, but when you read it like that and you read it the way it's written, it's just like, this dude seemed like a whole, whole nother bird, man. He really did. He sits in jail overnight. Sorry, I was supposed to be in the last little bit. He sits in jail overnight. The next morning, he has another audience. The high priest is there. But he's not in his high priest garb, so he doesn't know that it's him, which is hilarious. The high priest and the council's there. And says, the very next day, because the, the, 
the Romans, they wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews. They released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all the council to appear and brought Paul down and set before them. Which, you know, Paul's like, yeah, this is great. He's forcing you guys to listen to my message. The military is forcing you to listen to me. <laughs> so you can't, throw, you can't stop your ears like you did to Stephen. You can't throw ah, You have to listen. And if I get one of you, it's a win. So what does he say? It says, Paul, the very beginning of, of Acts 23, this is what we'll close, this scene. Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this very day. And it says, And at that Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Bam! And when I saw that, it was like, hey, that was, that was hitting that thing at the root. That, that, was, the tr- that was the trigger. Boom! Okay. Okay. He says that. I've lived in all good conscience before God unto this very day. Aramaic. The, I've, I've lived with a good conscience and, and the Lord has guided me into this day. In other words, I'm supposed to be here and I have the audience with you and my conscience, my mind is free and my conscience is perfectly clear. I'm free and I'm here in front of y'all. You know, it's like, hey, look, you know me. You know me. I had letters from you guys to persecute. I was the leader. I was the boss, the arrester, the persecutor. And I fully switched because it's real. You trusted my authority then. How do you feel now? But I'll tell you what, my mind is free. My conscience is completely clear. Most people, a lot of people, they never know what that feels like to not have a secret, to not be afraid that something's going to come out about them. Somebody's going to see something about them. And it's like, no, the Lord's actually brought me to this day. I'm not arrested by you. He's preaching that Romans 8, 1 that he writes. He admits, my writing's a lot better than my speaking. Paul says that about himself in, in, in different words. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm much better. You know? but, but he's telling them, hey, I know what you all deal with. I know the torment that you're all under, trying to jump through your hoops. You're afraid of God. You're trying to please him. Your conscience is never clear. You're trying to keep it all together. I'm not under that anymore. I'm fully not under that. That Romans 7. Like the, the good I want to do, I don't do. The bad that I want to do, I do. Oh my gosh, who's going to save me for this wretched? Oh my gosh, I have this turmoil. It's sin inside of me. It's not me that actually does it. So what is this? Who's going to save me from this? But thank God, because Romans 8 starts. And that, that number probably should have never been there. Because then he says what? He says, no. But thank God there is... There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of liberty has set me free from that, from that torment that I used to be under. And so here's the contrast. This man who's become so powerful, demons flee from his jacket. You know what I mean? People want to get in his shadow. It stirs everybody up. But his message is the same. There's no condemnation. I am, not, I am so at peace that I am not in any way disqualified by nothing that I do. It's by who I know, and I'm already in. That's what he tells them. 
Hit him now. Shut him up now. Pop. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the trigger. To which he reacted. If you read, if you read, you know, that that verse, you know. Paul looks at the guy and says, God's gonna hit you, you whitewashed wall. He talks trash to him, you know what I mean? <laughs> which shows that he's still a dude, still a person, not perfect. He didn't just turn the other cheek, oh okay, well, you know what I mean? Oh God, oh yeah. You hit me like that. He was so confident. God loves me, man. I'm his messenger. Now you're going to get smacked for that. You hypocrite. That's what it meant. You freaking hypocritic whitewashed wall. And they're like, you dare talk to the high priest like that? To which he repented. He goes, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you should not speak evil. You should not curse the ruler of the people. Exodus went to it. That was my bad. But then he gets out of the deal because part were Pharisees and Sadducees and he got them all to argue with themselves and he left, which is hilarious. <laughs> but that's the point. The point was I wanted to see what, what was this power? What was, this, what was the power of the shadow and the handkerchief, the cloth? What made these people special is that they knew they should have been disqualified. If it was by their merit and by their terms, there's no way he would have ever picked me and Jesus specifically picked them with that. And so that shame and that condemnation and that disqualification was what had been so taken off of their minds and their lives that they were actually free, especially him. Him more than Peter, I feel, from some things that happened. I'm sure Peter got there too. But it's like he was so free that he was sitting there talking about like, hey, God's the one that brought me here, guys. And my mind is free. My conscience is clear. You guys know I know the Torah. Memorize the first five books. You know how well I know this better than all y'all probably. You know me. You know me. You know what I was like. So imagine. Hmm. Think about it. Must be something real if, if even Saul bin Laden turned around, huh? My mind's clean, I'll tell you that. Get him. There's no condemnation in Christ. This is the power of the kingdom. It is a mindset. It is a mind change. You're not who you once were. Well, I'm just a sinner. Like, yeah, I, 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 I kind of get, yes, I was in sin while we were yet sinners, but that's not my identity. You know, play soccer, that's not your identity. You're not a soccer player. That's something that you did and partaken in. Maybe you stopped doing it anymore. Are you still a soccer player? No, but you are a person. You have value. You have love from God. You know what I mean? And God desires us to be completely and totally free like this. Can you imagine having no secrets or nothing to hide? You know what I mean? No fear of being exposed for something you've done or something you think. Because if you can imagine it and it sounds good, it should be a reality. Because there is no condemnation in this thing. There is total freedom. And it comes from knowing the Lord Jesus seeing what he accomplished in that cross and actually being conformed into that image. And that's the message. So Lord, we thank you for the truth and the reality of this gospel that your servants have preached for thousands of years and that we're all called to embody and preach ourselves through our life. I ask that that championship, that, that we would champion the reality of what it means to have no shame and no condemnation, that we would only be steered by the truth, that the love of Christ would control and compel us in all that we do, and that we would be a contagious light and authority, just like that which emanated from some of our big brothers in the Bible. Amen.